0: Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's word and apply it to our hearts, so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter two, verses eleven through fifteen. Colossians chapter two, verses eleven through fifteen. Allow me to read this passage. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your faith, He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, open our hearts to the truths of your word today. Help us to understand all that Jesus has done for us. Lord, help us to never take for granted the saving power of Jesus and what he did on the cross. Lord, guide us in our study today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First part of this begins with the word circumcision. That's not something we really talk about very much in our society, but... Uh, In Jewish culture, it was a big thing. If you go all the way back to Abraham, God commanded Abraham to have all the male children circumcised as an outward sign of the covenant that he had with these people. And so it was an outward mark representing an inward relationship with God. So it was a physical mark that distinguished them from the non-Jews, the pagans of the world. And so this was a covenant that God had made with Abraham But why is Paul using circumcision here in this passage? Well, we have to understand, as we've gone through this book of Colossians, that the Church of Colossae was dealing with false teachers. There were several different types, whether they were all one body, and they taught multiple different things or different groups within. And basically, some of those were dealing with what we call Judaism. Basically, Judaizers were those who said... You know, we grew up in Judaism. We are the Jews. We are God's chosen people. God has called us and he has shown us through the prophets of the coming Messiah. We have finally come to the point where we recognize that Jesus is that Messiah. So these were what we would call messianic Jews, Jews who had accepted Jesus as Savior. And here's their problem. They could not understand how in the world somebody who was not a Jew, not one of God's chosen people, could possibly just simply invite Jesus into their heart and accept him as Savior and Lord by confessing their sins without first becoming a Jew. In other words, practicing the, the rules of Judaism. That would basically mean following all the laws of Moses, following the dietary strict uh, regulations, following all the rules and regulations of being a Jew, going through all the feasts and everything. They just could not accept that. And so they basically said you must first begin practicing being a Jew, in other words, being a Judaizer, being a proselyte, and then you can become a Christian because you must first follow the method of Judaism before you can get to Christianity. Well, guess what? You search through the gospel. You search through the entire New Testament. There's no evidence whatsoever that Jesus nor any of the teachings of Christ say that you must first follow the methods of Judaism before accepting Jesus as Savior and Lord and becoming a child of God. And so Paul is basically using this term because this was a false teaching of those within the church who were, First became of the Jewish faith and then became children of God. And so he is basically saying, here is how we become a child of God. It is in him, Jesus, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Well, what kind of circumcision is that? Well, he goes on and tells us, it is the renewing of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ and so what we're looking at is the flesh of the body, the physical body, that the Jews dealt with, with a circumcision made with hands, versus the flesh of the sin. Now, the sin of flesh is what Jesus is dealing with. Y'all do understand that we are all born sinners. And we're all outside of God's glory. And so Jesus came to do something about the debt of our sin. Because all sin deserves punishment. But the Jews circumcise the flesh, the physical part, but Jesus circumcises the flesh from the sinful desires of man. And so this is why Paul is dealing with this. He wants to show a distinction between just a physical act that really has no meaning other than it is a symbol of some inner relationship that you're supposed to have with God. Now not all Jews did that. They were circumcised as a child, as an infant, and it really meant nothing to them other than it was a outward symbol of what they were as Jews. But Paul says, All of us, regardless of age, we must be circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, that which Christ Jesus does, where he removes the sins of the flesh. And so that is what he's talking about. Well, what are the sins of the flesh? Well, Paul actually gives a pretty long list, and it's not an all-inclusive list found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. He says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, And things like these, in other words, that's not the end of the list, of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now when he says those who practice such things means that this is your lifestyle. It's not that you err once here or there with some of these sins and feel the conviction of God and you repent of that sin and receive his forgiveness and cleansing, but it is a habitual lifestyle. So we look at these sins of the flesh and he, uh, John actually kind of condenses it down to three statements. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from God, but is from the world. But Jesus has come to save us, to cleanse us from the sins of the flesh. How does he do it? How does Jesus Go about cleansing us from this unrighteousness, the sins of the flesh. Well, we see it in his death, burial, and resurrection. And look at verse 2 having been buried with him in baptism. Now, baptism in and of itself does not cleanse us from our unrighteousness, it does not cleanse us from the sins of the flesh. It is our faith in Jesus and uniting with him through baptism. As a symbol of what has already taken place. That is really what I talk about. But the symbol of baptism. The first part of baptism is that we are placed under the water. We are dying to our old sin nature. We are dying with Christ in baptism. That's what this is talking about. Having been buried with him in baptism. So we're dying to our sins. We confess our sins. We no longer want to live that sinful life. And we need a power within us to overcome that sinful nature. So what takes place next? In which you are also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So as we're buried with Christ in baptism, going under the water, then we're raised up out of the water to walk in the newness of life, in the power, in the strength, in faith, in Christ Jesus. That's the beautiful picture of baptism. And that's what Paul is depicting here. We're buried with Christ and baptism and we're raised up with him through faith. So we actually cannot do anything in and of ourselves to overcome this penalty of sin, the, the guilt of sin, the sins of the flesh. We cannot overcome them ourselves. We must surrender our lives to the Lordship of Christ. As we do, the Bible is very clear that the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells within us, begins a transformation within us to transform us into from this sinful center of the flesh into a child of God who is now being led by the Spirit of God to live in the newness of life which is of God. In other words, the sins of the flesh that we just mentioned back here, which is a long list and it's not all-inclusive, those are no longer our heart's desire. Now our heart's desire is to live unto the Lord, to live in a way that brings honor and glory to Him. So we're no longer to walk in the old ways of the flesh, but now we're to walk in the newness of life. And we see that through the being raised with Christ in faith in His working of what He did on the cross. So again, this picture of baptism, shows the power of the resurrection. Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and he proved that he had overcome all the power of sin, all the power of death, all the power of Satan, all the power of hell. He had overcome it all through his resurrection. And so the resurrection is that picture of us coming up out of the water. We identify with Christ in his resurrection as the conqueror, as the victor over our sin, our sin nature. And he and he alone is the only one that can do that. So we receive cleansing through our faith in him. And again, we can do nothing in our own power to do any of this. It is only through Christ, his dying for our sins in our place, that we're able to do this. Look at verse 13. When you were dead in your transgressions, understand, we are born in sin. We're born with a sin nature, and we are against God. We live against God through our lives. So we were dead in our transgressions, our sins. This is the evidence of living in uncircumcised, fleshly life. And instead of remaining dead, Jesus makes us alive together with him. Verse 13, For you were dead in your transgressions, in your uncircumcision of your flesh, But He, Jesus, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions. It is only through our faith in Jesus that He has the power to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of our unrighteousness and to make us pure and holy to be in the presence of Almighty God. He is the victor. He is our victor. He is the only one who has the power over that. If Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the power for all of our sin. There's nothing that that does not include. There's no hidden sin. There's there's nothing that we can do to lose our salvation. There's nothing inherent in us that Jesus cannot overcome. So then we go on to verse 14. It says, having canceled out the certificate of death. The certificate of debt. We owe a debt because of our sins. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages or the debt of sins is death. Death in this picture is not physical death because we're all going to die. Yes, that is part of our sin. That is a part of the response of sin that we will all physically die. But it's talking about a spiritual death. An eternal separation from God. And we can go into the details that that means a torturous, hellacious punishment in hell. But what we see simply is that instead of receiving God's gift of salvation, eternal life and eternal life in heaven with him, we deserve eternal death. That's what we deserve for our sins. So he says he has canceled out that certificate of debt. The debt that we owe is death, eternal separation from God. And Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, has canceled out that certificate of debt. In other words, here's Satan. He's saying, I have seen Steve Galloway committing these sins. Because of these sins, he deserves the same punishment that I deserve. He deserves total, eternal separation from you, God. That's a certificate of debt. That's the certificate I owe because of my sins. But because of Jesus and my faith in him, he has canceled that certificate of debt. It is no longer owed by me. And instead, it says that, consisting of the decrees against us, that's what Satan does. Do you remember the story of Job? Job basically went to God and said, you know, Job is praising you. He is worshiping you. He is being a good follower of God. But the only reason why I think he's doing that is because you bless him so much. If you took away his family, if you took away his livestock, if you took away his health, he would curse you instead of bless you. Well, we know the end of the story of Job. Even with all that Job went through, all that was taken away, Job stayed faithful to the Lord. And God blessed him and multiplied what he once had. But the certificate, a debt, is what I owe and what you owe because of your sins. But Jesus sees that there is this decree that's been made against us. This is Satan going for the throne of God, accusing us of deserving the same debt that he has received. Eternal separation from God. But then he says... This was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way. Jesus has taken out this certificate of debt, this decree against us. He's taken it away. And what did he do? He nailed it to the cross. Does anybody know of a passage of Scripture where Jesus took anything and nailed it to the cross? It's not there. So what is Paul talking about? That Jesus nailed this certificate of debt that we owe to the cross. The only thing nailed to the cross was Jesus. So here's what the scriptures tell us. Jesus looked upon us, sinful creation, doomed because of our sins. From eternity past, this was God's plan. That Jesus would, would come to earth, God with us. He would become a man, live a perfect, sinless life. And then, at that right time, he would take upon himself the guilt and the penalty of Steve Galloway's sins. And your sins. And the sins of every person in the world. And he would take that penalty and the guilt of that penalty and he would place it upon himself and he, that certificate of debt, the debt of our sins, he would be nailed to the cross. He died in our place. He died for you. He died for me. That's what Jesus did to fulfill the Father's wishes and desires. The decree means that we deserve Jesus received. We deserve to be killed for our sins. We deserve to die physically, but we also deserve to die spiritually. So Jesus came, took our place on the cross, took the debt that we deserve because of our sins, placed them upon himself, and he died in our place. Scripture tells us in verse 14, the last part of it, as he nailed it to the cross, that Jesus is the answer to the sin of death. He's taken it out of the way. I read the first part of Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve for our sins. But the last part of verse 23 in chapter 6 of Romans says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it is only through Jesus. Only through Jesus. There is no other way to receive salvation from your sins other than the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. So what did he do on the cross? Well, verse 15 says, When he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities. What does it mean by disarming the rulers and authorities? The rulers of this earth is Satan and his emissaries, his demonic forces. He disarmed them. What does that mean? Before salvation, the accusations of Satan to God about our sins were valid. We do deserve the same thing that Satan is going to receive and is receiving. Eternal damnation. That's what we deserve. But what he is doing on the cross What he did through his death, burial, and resurrection, he disarmed Satan and the powers of Satan. Satan no longer has any power over you or me. He has no power to go before the throne of God and accuse us of our sinfulness. Do you know why? I've already quoted it probably a thousand times since I've been here. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and he is just, To forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Here's what it means. That first, we feel the conviction of our sins. Then we confess those sins before the Lord, believing that Jesus died for our sins. And here's what God does. He forgives us of our sins. In other words, He takes the penalty of that sin away because Jesus died for that purpose. He already paid the penalty for that sin by dying in our place. And our faith is in Jesus. But he goes beyond that. He cleanses us of our unrighteousness. That means he wipes the slate clean as if it never took place. So basically what, in a spiritual way, when Satan tries to say to God, Steve Galloway is still a sinner. God's going to say, but Steve Galloway is my child. And when he sins, he's convicted of that sin. And when he's convicted of that sin, he confesses his sin before me. And when he confesses that sin, I forgive him of that sin and the debt's wiped away. And then I cleanse him of that sin as if it never took place in the first time. Can you get a better deal than that? Satan walks away with nothing. Because there's nothing to accuse us. So Jesus disarm Satan and all of his authorities. And he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. What's the public display? Well, first of all, it is the resurrection of Jesus. Nobody had been raised from the dead on his own power. Jesus had raised some people. Lazarus is the most famous. Some of the prophets and others had raised some people from the dead, but not in the stint of Jesus. Power God raised Jesus from the dead to prove this point that he had overcome the penalty of sin, he had overcome death, he had overcome Satan, he had overcome hell, and he was victorious. And so, how do we know that really took place? Isn't there, aren't there a lot of people that say, well, that's just what people said? Well, the Bible itself has many documented instances of people seeing Jesus. We have the women, we have his disciples, but then later on, during the 40 uh, 40 days that Jesus remained on the earth after his resurrection, over 500 people saw him at one time. Folks, if that was a fairy tale, don't you think somebody would have objected and said, that didn't happen. Instead, 500 people would say, I know it happened because I saw him. Well, that's a wonderful understanding of the power of Jesus. That he overcame death. But there's something else that's just as powerful, if not more powerful. If Jesus had died for our sins and remained in the tomb, there'd be no evidence that he overcame our sin debt. But by raising from the dead, we know that he had triumphed over our sin. How do we know that what he did was acceptable unto God? After the 40 days of Jesus being in his resurrected body, something else miraculous took place. He gathered his disciples, gave them some last minute instructions, and then he ascended back into heaven to sit at the right hand of God Almighty. If Jesus had not fulfilled his purpose here on earth, if he had not fulfilled the dying for our sins and rising in victory over the penalty of our sins, do you think God would let him back into his heaven? No. That is proof positive that God accepted that Jesus had totally fulfilled his purpose of coming to die for our sins, to raise himself in order to have victory over the sins so that we, through our faith in him, could receive that same victory. Now, That's the greatest act of triumph you'll ever witness. He triumphed over them, proving through this public display where people saw him actually ascend into the heavens to sit at the right hand of God. That's all the evidence we need. That's the power of Christ. And if you do not have faith in him, then you still are lost in your sins doesn't matter whether you've been physically circumcised or not. It doesn't matter. It is the spiritual circumcision of what Christ does for you, where you understand that you cannot do anything to overcome the debt of your sins. You cannot be good enough. You can't do enough good works to overcome it. There's only one way to overcome the debt of your sins, and that is accepting what Jesus did on the cross, dying in your place for your sins, and then overcoming that debt of sin, that penalty of sin, by rising from the dead and proving that he had successfully and fulfilled God's commandment in doing all that he did so that he could take his rightful place at the right hand of God in heaven. When we place our faith in him for what he has done in our place for us that we could not do for ourselves, then we receive his gift of salvation and eternal life. But that comes... Not just believing that Jesus died, that he rose again, that he even ascended in the Father, but it is a surrendering to him as Lord. One thing it is, it is one thing to confess of who Jesus is, of what he has done, but it's another thing to live a surrendered life. The surrendered life means that I am his. I now belong to God. I am a child of God. He is my Father, and He is to rule my life. Well, how does He do that? Well, He's given me His presence, His Holy Spirit that dwells within me, that gives me wisdom, guidance, knowledge, understanding of everything I need to say, everything I need to do, everything I need to think, and how I desire life. He's taken away the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life and he's replaced that with humility and love and passion that's how we become a child of god allowing the holy spirit to transform us into what god wants us to be the first act is that act of faith accepting jesus our savior and lord that's the act of salvation once you get past that you receive his holy spirit his Holy Spirit begins to transform you into who he wants you to be, to be more like Christ. It's called sanctification. It's a big word we hardly ever use, but it basically means to be set apart, to be more like Christ each and every day. And it's a continuous action. It's not something that took place at the moment of salvation. It is something we are continuously in the process of completing. Then there's the act of glorification. There's going to be a day when each and every one of us will take our last breath. If you are truly a child of God, if you have truly placed your faith in Christ as Savior and Lord, then this body will be transformed into a perfected body fit for heaven. That's called glorification. It means that there cannot be any sin. Right now, you and I still battle sin in our lives, but when that moment comes, when we take our last breath. The Bible's very clear that God's already prepared a place for us and he is going to give us a transformed body to be with him that's fit for heaven. Glorification. Now, the only other option is to continue to live in your sin. To maybe believe that there's a, a way that Jesus may even be that way. Even believing that somewhere along the way that Jesus did something miraculous by Dying on the cross for people's sins. But you've never truly put your faith in him. You've never called out upon his name and said, Jesus, you did that for me. And I place my faith in you as my savior over my sins. And today, I want to surrender my life to you so that you will be Lord of all. If you've never... Experience that in your life. I'd love to share with you after the service, have an appointment for counseling. We all need that. Otherwise, first part of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve without that relationship with Christ. I pray that you have a right relationship, that you accepted. His circumcision without hands of what he did on the cross to save us and cleanse us from our sinfulness. And that you are now living a victorious life knowing that Satan has absolutely no power over you because of what Jesus has done. That's the power of Christ living in us and through us. And it's something we also need to celebrate. We need to share with others the victory that we have in Jesus it's an old hymn, Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. That's what Jesus has done for us. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today, Lord, being challenged by your word to realize that, Lord, there's only one way that we can deal with our sinfulness. And that's through the death of the the burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ. He is either a figure of history that we may believe existed, that did some wonderful things and taught some wonderful things that we might could inject into our lives, or he truly is the only answer for our sinfulness, for the debt of sin that we have. And it's only by our faith in him, calling upon his name, to save us from our sins, to cleanse us from our unrighteousness, and to give us the hope of eternal life. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us have received that wonderful gift of salvation and eternal life that comes only through Jesus. Lord, he nailed himself to the cross. Romans may have used the nails and pounded them into his flesh, but it was his choice. It was his purpose to be nailed to that cross as the ultimate perfect sacrifice for our sins. And he did it. Lord, we know that he had all the sins of the world on him. Because at one moment on the cross, he cried out to you saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Lord, he obviously overcame the debt of our sins. Because he rose victorious, and he now sits at your right hand, interceding on our behalves, wiping away the guilt and the penalty of our sins, cleansing us from all of our unrighteousness. That's who we need in our lives each and every day. Help us to surrender anew to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.